Two Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. How many of you like love stories? Anyone? <laughs> Some are shaking their heads. Not at all. The thing about love stories is they're so predictable, right? I don't want to ruin them all for you, but pretty much every love story that gets told is you have two people that are interested in each other and you keep them separated the whole time until the very, very end, right? The greatest love story ever told, The Princess Bride, right? (laughs) Anyone know that movie? Yes. I've often been tempted there standing before a couple, I'm about to wed them and I feel like I'm going to say, Marriage is what brings us together today. Yes, that movie, The Princess Bride, where Wesley, the farm boy, remember him? How he says, what was his famous line every time? As you wish, right? And Buttercup, who became the princess, who was going to be married off to Prince Humperdinck. And uh, she thought that Wesley had long been killed by the dread pirate Roberts, And they're kept separate until, of course, the very end. What happens? Well, of course, they ride off into the sunset, four of them, (laughs) um, off on white horses. But of course, Wesley and Buttercup are together. Well, sorry to ruin all those uh, love stories for you, but that's how they all are. Wouldn't you rather have a surprise ending? You know, some movies are pretty exciting because you don't know who's good and who's bad until the very end, right? Uh, who's the clean uh, group of people and who's the dirty element in there that um, uh, you thought was on the right side of the law and then it turns out that they are actually the bad guys. Uh, That twist at the end, that suspense, uh, that surprise ending um, that you never expect. Um, There's only one love story that has a surprise ending that I can think of and that is uh, the movie um, called, uh, let me think, Which one did I have here? I didn't even put in my notes. Uh, Yes, I did, Roman Holiday. Anyone ever seen that? With Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. And in the end, they don't get together. Ah, the movie ends and you're thinking, why didn't they put them together? Um, Yes, a surprise ending. Well, today we're going to look at a parable of Jesus with a surprise ending. But just like with all surprise endings, if you've seen the movie, it's no surprise anymore, right? So you kind of have to read this parable as if you've never read it before for it to have a surprise ending. I assume most of you are probably familiar with this parable, but it comes in Matthew chapter 20, and um, it's a parable that has a surprise ending. And let me just remind you why Jesus teaches in parables. He teaches in parables to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because if the kingdom of heaven is just like everything here on earth, then Jesus wouldn't have to explain it. But Jesus does use earthly examples when he tells his parables, but to reveal to us a truth about the kingdom of heaven that isn't always as we expect it to be. And Jesus came announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near, it is here, it is at hand, and yet the fullness of his kingdom was still something that was yet to come, something in the future. And Jesus' parables were effective because they, he often would use an object or a character that the audience would be very familiar with, 
but then there would be some twist to that parable that would make it that much more memorable, and this is one of those. It ends in a way that was least expected. So um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, and uh, first of all, you need to be reminded of two things that Jesus said to his disciples before we get to this passage. If you were here last week, you'll remember what the conversation was about, about the kingdom of heaven and how to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to review it uh, in just a moment as well. But for us who, have, who are followers of Jesus Christ, it's important we understand this parable because it has something to do with what we expect in the kingdom of heaven. The rewards that we expect from our life here on earth to be waiting for us in heaven. And it's important because usually when it comes to your and my possessions, we tend to be rather possessive about them, right? It's not natural for us to just be giving everything away or to letting go of our things. And then we discover through what Jesus is teaching here is that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to let go of some of these things that are most precious to us here on earth. Um, some of us don't even like letting go of burdens and bitterness and our debts let alone anything that we consider very precious to us. But so in Matthew chapter 20, um, I know you've already turned there, but I'm, it's going to be a while before I read that. But I kind of want to review, first of all, Matthew chapter 19, what we studied last week. And um, those of you who weren't here, let me just give you a quick review. Um, Jesus had been urging his disciples to go ahead and let the children come to him. Parents had been bringing their children to Jesus, and the disciples thought it was inappropriate but Jesus urged his disciples, no, he said, let the children come. Why were they supposed to come to him? Because Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, there was not much value placed on children in Jesus's time. They're not ranked very highly in society in the ancient Near East. And when you thought of greatness, you didn't think of children. You thought of those with age, you thought of those with wisdom or accomplishments, or even those who had royal heritage. Children had no list of great accomplishments to their name. They had no wisdom. They had no economic value until they were grown older. But see, the thing is about the kingdom of heaven is that it's very different in that regard. All of God's children are precious to him, regardless of their age or their accomplishments. And so that's why Jesus had also said to his disciples earlier, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself like a child. And he set a child before them. And uh, in this case, the, child, the, the children were being brought to him. And Jesus even cautioned those, if anyone were to cause these little ones to stumble, then it would be better for that person to have a millstone hung around his neck and be drowned. But so Jesus tells his disciples to let the children come to him, not to forbid them, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize something very important, that we have nothing to lose and everything to gain in the kingdom of heaven. That was first set of people that were brought to Jesus. Then came a rich young ruler asking Jesus, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus told him that he had to fulfill God's standard of righteousness. You have to be perfect like God is perfect. And the guy says, well, I've already obeyed all the commandments. Um, or so you have to obey the commandments. And he asked which ones. And then Jesus mentioned some very specific ones, the big ones that all of them would recognize, like do not murder, do not steal. And then the man said, well, I've done all those. What thing do I lack? And Jesus said, well, then go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and then come and follow me. 
And how did that rich man respond? He turned away. What he thought was too, too precious for him, he was unwilling to let go of. And he didn't realize what the kingdom of heaven would have in store for him, that it was much greater. So the kingdom of heaven, as we understood from last week, also belongs to those who realize that everything I have to lose is really nothing compared to everything that I have to gain. So in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have that kind of a perspective. And Jesus said, that's why the rich, it's impossible for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. But as we discovered last week, it's also what's impossible for men is possible for God. And then Peter responds to those statements that Jesus had made about the rich man who had too much to lose by saying to Jesus, now look, we've given up everything. What's in it for us then? And that's where Jesus re uh, responds by assuring Peter that everything that he may have given up on earth to follow Jesus will be rewarded to him a hundred times as much as well as to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus concludes in verse 30 of chapter 19, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. So what he's saying there to Peter is that you can expect that in the kingdom of heaven there will be a reversal of fortunes. A surprise ending, if you will. And that's where we begin chapter 20. See, it's a pity that there's a chapter break in our Bibles today. Because in the original text, it that were, there weren't any chapter breaks, there weren't any verses. And when Jesus continues his statement here by saying, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, it's because he's now about to explain that he, what he's just said about many who will be first will be last and many who are last will be first. So if you make a statement, and then you continue with an and, then you're just about to explain further what you have just said, right? If you say but, then you're about to contradict what you've just said. And when you say for or because, then you're just about to continue to give the reason for the statement that you've just made. So it's unfortunate that there's a chapter break, but don't, um, uh, but, but if, you, if you consider that Jesus is now going to teach about his last statement, then you can read together with me the explanation of what Jesus means by the first will be last and many who are last will be first. Verse 1 of chapter 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Nothing unusual so far. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Again, nothing unusual, because a denarius is essentially one day's full wage. Verse 3, about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, those of you who know this parable, you know what's about to happen next, right? So, you know, there's no surprise ending for you, but hopefully there's some among you who've never heard this story before. You're like, oh, wow, that was a surprise ending. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour and, uh, came and each received a denarius. In other words, a full day's wage 
when they had worked for just an hour. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered to them, or he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? There's the surprise ending, to which most of you are saying, well, that wasn't a surprise. We knew the ending. Well, yeah, sorry you knew the ending. But it was a surprise especially because those who had worked at the beginning of the day began to see those who were working only a short part of the day earning much more than they deserved. So they were expecting that they would receive much more than they had agreed upon. But the landowner explained to them, we agreed for you to work for, a de for one denarius. So take your pay and go. They grumbled because they thought that the, the, um, the landowner was being unfair. But was he being unfair? No. What he was being was generous to those who had been hired at the end of the day. And this is what Jesus used to explain what he meant when he said that in the kingdom of heaven, many are first, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. In other words, that the kingdom of heaven isn't quite like the kingdom on earth. And that Jesus, or that the landowner and God who is uh, being uh, portrayed here is far more generous than we can expect. He's just assured Peter that whatever you've given up, you'll receive a hundred times more. The kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of earth. Instead, it's like a landowner, and he explains how this landowner cho chose to be generous. And his generosity, unfortunately, was simply not appreciated by those who were receiving their just due. Of course, it was really good news to those who'd been hired last, those who'd been spending all day wondering if they were going to even get paid at all, and then after having worked an hour, were given a full day's wage. See, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who realize they're at, the they're at the mercy and the generosity of God. You don't earn your salvation with God. It is his generous gift to us. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. It's given to those who call upon the name of the Lord because they know that they are completely without anything to deserve their salvation. They are completely at his mercy to forgive them. And we can be confident that whatever we sacrifice here on earth, that God will richly reward us in heaven for it. See, if it were possible for us to earn our salvation, then Christ died in vain. Because he didn't need to die. We could have each found our own way there. We could have each worked our own way there and earned it there. But because it is impossible for us, then Christ died for our sins to make it possible by God's equation. On Judgment Day, I ask you today, are you planning to receive your just due? 
from God. Because if you are, then the scripture says that the wages of your sin is death. But if on judgment day you're going to fall at the mercy of God, then the scripture says that the gift of God is eternal life. So what do you prefer? That God is completely fair to give you everything that you deserve or that God would choose to be generous with you and give you eternal life that you don't deserve. My guess is you'd rather be the 11th hour worker receiving his grace and his generosity. And if God is generous to grant us eternal life when we don't deserve it, how much more then will he be generous to us who surrender everything to him in order to serve his kingdom? Jesus assures Peter who has sacrificed everything that all that he's given up on earth will be rewarded a hundred times over in heaven. So the question for us then is, will we have the same kind of faith that Peter had and the other disciples? Will we believe that in heaven what is waiting for us is far greater than anything we could ever sacrifice here on earth? See, the nature of the kingdom of heaven is not intuitive to those who have a worldly mindset. Because you see, in the world, who are the great? It's those who are wealthy, those who are independent, those who are influential, and those who are strong. In the world, who are the first? Those who are fastest, those who are most talented, those who have the most sought-after abilities and skills and education. In the world, who are the best? They're the intellectuals, the wise, the most knowledgeable. But you see, in the kingdom of heaven, who are those that are esteemed? Those who are humble, those who are meek and merciful, and poor. Who are those that are blessed? The ones that are persecuted and the ones that are peacemakers. The wise in the kingdom of heaven are those who were foolish enough to believe in a crucified Christ. Because God doesn't always call the mighty or the noble, but instead the lowly and the despised of this world to shame those who are the wise in this world. He demonstrates his power and his wisdom in such a way that no one can boast in themselves. That's how the kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of earth. And so what's required of us is, is a faith that's, that's great enough for us to surrender our righteousness for the righteousness of Christ. You have to be willing to let go of everything that you think you're deserving of. Your own righteousness, your own good deeds. And surrender them instead for the righteousness of Christ who is perfect, who is sinless, who went to the cross not because he deserved death, but because you and I deserved death. So we have to have faith to trust the work of Christ is complete and sufficient, that he is truly the son of God, the lamb that was offered to pay for our sins, the resurrected savior who's capable of conquering death. I know that it's not a blind faith simply because I know that the, the scriptures are, are recorded for us, the testimony is true, there were eyewitnesses to account for everything that happened, but we still have to believe that Jesus, although he is faithfully recorded as claiming to be the, the, uh, the Son of God, that we, he truly is the Son of God. It is still a step of faith for us to confess our sins and receive Jesus as Savior. And so faith is also required to surrender the control of our lives to Jesus for him to be in charge and it's required for us to, to surrender our earthly possessions for the rewards of heaven. See, if we didn't have faith, 
everything we give up seems like a sacrifice. But when we have faith, we see it not as a sacrifice, but an investment with a great return. I love what David Livingstone says, famous missionary to Africa, about sacrifice. There's a whole thing that he says, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it. He says, away with such a word, with a word called sacrifice. Because he says, such a th uh, away with such a word and such a view and such a thought. It is emph emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. David Livingstone, who spent all of his years, or most of his uh, years in, in Africa, calling what he did not even a sacrifice. See, that faith is the kind of faith that um, pleases God and that he richly rewards. What is that God asking of you? He might not be asking you to go someplace remote as a missionary. Perhaps he's asking you simply to go into your workplace as his missionary. Or perhaps he's asking you to give to missions and support those who are going to the faraway places of the world. Perhaps he's asking you to put away certain desires of your flesh or to let go of unforgiveness or to serve in a particular area of ministry. For each of us, whatever the Lord is asking of us, don't see it as a sacrifice, but see it as an investment because whatever you have to give up here on earth, Jesus assures us that he is generous and that we will be rewarded greatly. And God may ask you to obey a particular command that may seem difficult. I can think of several that are difficult. For example, love your enemies. How many of you are able to do that in your own strength? Hate what is evil. Honor one another above yourselves. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Or how about this one? Submit to the governing authorities. That's not always easy. And there may never be any rewards given to you here on earth for doing what God asks you to do. He asks us to give and to pray and to fast in secret. Not expecting a reward here on earth. Not expecting the uh, acknowledgement or recognition here on earth. He assures us, though, that God sees what is done in secret and that God will reward us. And when Jesus asked us to do that, he immediately followed those instructions with, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, without faith, you won't be able to please God. With faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what I want us to really see here is the only way for us to be willing to make sacrifices or what we think may be sacrifices on behalf of the kingdom of heaven is to truly trust that God is a generous God. And I want us to then take a look at the generosity of God these next couple of weeks because this is being November, month of Thanksgiving, at least in the United States, that I thought we could focus a little bit on what it means to be generous as a reflection of the generosity of God. So I want to turn your attention now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
for us to see the connection here between how generous God is by the grace that he has shown us and how that translates into the life of those who have faith to believe that God is a generous God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to the Corinthians here saying, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in their service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, the churches in Macedonia were being used as an example by Paul as he writes to the Corinthians, telling them to be, to be mindful of how generous they were. Why? Because God had been generous with them. God had shown them his grace. Notice how giving is truly a grace. And they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, they surrendered first themselves and then they could then surrender themselves to the needs of the apostles in keeping with God's will. Paul had asked Titus to see to it that this church in Corinth would complete their plan that they already had earlier to support the church in Jerusalem. And he calls this giving and generosity an act of grace. And then he tells them you should mature in this. I mean, all of us want to be a mature Christian, right? To have the faith that demonstrates we've walked with Christ, we understand his will for our lives. So oftentimes we say that a person is transformed and truly acting like a Christian when his speech is different, when he no longer swears, but instead encourages or those kinds of things. And he says, excel in all those things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us. But then he says also to excel in this grace of giving. You realize it's something that you should also abound in as a Christian, to be generous? Because if God has been generous to you and given you eternal life, not because you deserved it, because he gave it to you, and if he has all kinds of rewards waiting for you in heaven, if you truly believe all of that, then that translates into a life that says, I'm ready to give all of it to the Lord because I don't need any of it for me here on this earth. So the mature Christian, the one that most resembles Christ, is the one that excels in this grace of giving, of being generous, of always pouring out of yourself. Look real quickly at the next two verses. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, he died in our place while we were still undeserving. What's that called? That's called grace. That's called generosity. The wages I earned for my sin was death, but Jesus chose to give me life. 
He was rich, I was poor, but he chose to become poor for me in order that I might become rich and have all of that's in store in heaven waiting for me. And the more that we empty ourselves of our riches to make others rich, the more we begin to look like Christ and the generosity that he showed to us. So Christ-like transformation is really a progression that begins with selfishness and eventually, the more we mature, it leads to generosity. I think you'll agree with me that without Christ, we are basically selfish. We look out for ourselves. We save up for ourselves. That tends to be the way most of us are, and that comes with being part of the human race because we are a fallen human race. Now, I realize that people can still give generous gifts without Christ, but when you ask them the reasons, oftentimes the reasons are rather selfish. I want to make a difference, or it feels good to give, or I have more than I need. So it's not really a sacrifice to them. But when Christ comes into our lives, he, makes to, uh, he begins to make us others-oriented. All of a sudden, because Christ is in us, we become others-oriented. Outwardly, looking at others, being interested of others more than ourselves. And so as we mature, we get to this point where then we finally consider others as, more, as better than ourselves and we put them first before ourselves. So to be truly Christ-like, we'll spend ourselves solely for others and be generous with our giving because their lives are changed by it because they should feel good or they needed the help. So because Jesus has already assured us that anything we sacrifice here on earth gets multiplied a hundred times over in heaven, shouldn't we be confident in what he's given us as a promise here in this passage in Matthew chapter 20 again? That anything that you've given up for my sake will be rewarded a hundred times over do you have that faith? Will it be demonstrated through your generosity? So in the next couple of Sundays, we'll look more closely at these passages in 2 Corinthians because this is, after all, a Thanksgiving month and how, how better to demonstrate God's generosity than us being generous. How better to demonstrate how thankful we are for God's generous generosity to us by us being gracious and generous with others. But friends, it all starts with believing what Jesus said. If you don't have the faith to believe that what he promised in the kingdom of heaven, that that's true, then of course you won't be quite nearly as confident about being generous with what you have here on earth. Many who are last will be first, Jesus said, and the first shall be last. Do you have that confidence that anything you give up in this life will be rewarded? Because if you ever have a doubt, then remember this parable of this landowner. Remember how surprised the workers were at how generous this landowner was. No one received less than they deserved in this parable. And remember that if you already know the ending, that it shouldn't be a surprise <laughs> to you in the, uh, in, in the kingdom of heaven. So I ask you today, does this parable change how you view your possessions today and how strongly you, can, you cling to them and hold dear to them? Will it change your priorities in the things that you pursue in this life, knowing that the kingdom of heaven truly is about something completely different than the things we pursue here on earth? Does it change how eager you are to make a great name for yourself here on earth? Will it change your perspective on what you have to give up here on earth because today you're a citizen of heaven? 
If there's anything we can take away from this today, I hope that you understand that God is a generous God. His grace abounds to us to overcome our sin, no matter how sinful we've been, and he rewards us more than we could ever imagine. I'm sure that in the afterlife, we will be surprised at how generous he is because we can simply not imagine how great it is in heaven. And let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, thank you for your assurance, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. In him, we acknowledge that uh, you have been so generous to us in offering the only begotten son as the lamb who would take away our sins. And as we now enter the time of communion and the Lord's Supper, we pray, Lord God, that we would again appreciate the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf that we would understand again the significance of his body being given for us, beaten and pierced and um, suffering, and how his blood was poured out unto death for us. And I pray, Lord God, that as we view that, that we cannot do anything except to be generous with others around us. At so great a cost that you paid, at so great a gift that you gave us, Lord, nothing that we could ever offer could even compare with the generosity that you've shown us. So I pray, Lord God, that you would make us into a generous people, people filled with your grace, people eager to help and meet the needs of others, people ready to serve and participate and, and give of our abilities and talents and gifts so that your name would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.